When this passage about divorce is read in church, we tend to hear it in an intensely personal way. We hear it in a personal way. This is particularly true if you have gone through a divorce, or if your parents have been divorced, or if you know someone who has been divorced, which of course is all of us. All of this has the end result of hearing this passage as addressed to particular individuals, to particular people, and feeling ashamed or angry or hurt or embarrassed as you hear it. And that is totally understandable. But what if, what if Jesus wasn't speaking to married or divorced people in this passage? What if he was speaking to all of us? Before we dive deeper into this passage, I need to make something clear. Marriage is not the ultimate goal of a faithful life. Marriage is simply one way, among many ways, that people of faith can live in covenant with one another. For too long, the church has held up marriage as the end-all, be-all of human existence, labeling those who are single or widowed or divorced as second-class citizens in the kingdom. To illustrate this point, in a previous church I served, I taught a four-week class on marriage. In one of the classes, I asked the single people in the room to share with others what it was like, what the challenges were being single in a congregation made up mostly of married people. There was an awkward moment of silence, and then Cindy raised her hand in the back of the class, and she bravely spoke up. This is what she said. The most difficult thing that people can't understand about me as a single person is how I can be happy and single. They always approach me as if my singleness was a disease that limits my experience of life. Several heads in the room nodded in agreement. Now, marriage is a wonderful tradition. We should cherish it and nurture it. It's a cornerstone of our community, of our society, but it is not the only way to be faithful. And it certainly is not more important, any more important of a relationship in the eyes of Jesus than our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, and even our enemies. Now, when the Pharisees ask Jesus if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife, they know the answer to the question they ask. They know that a man is permitted to divorce his wife. The law is right there in the 20 fourth chapter of Deuteronomy. The Pharisees are not confused about the legality of divorce. They want to trap Jesus. They want to test him. They want to force him to pick sides. They want to know what camp he falls into. Is he in the more liberal camp that says that a man can divorce his wife for a myriad of reasons? Or is he in the more conservative camp that says there's only a few legitimate reasons for divorce? Fortunately, Jesus doesn't want to argue the details. He doesn't want to take sides in their petty squabbles. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. So instead of answering their question, he goes back to the beginning, the very beginning, to the story of Adam and Eve, to a time before the social construct of marriage even existed. And what the story of Adam and Eve teaches us is from the very beginning, 
the moment we were created, God intends for us to be in relationship. From the beginning, God wants us to be in relationship. And it's not a relationship defined by the terms or labels or categories we create. It's a relationship defined by God's relationship with us. God creates us. God loves us. God draws us into relationship with us. And then we are called to mirror that action with others. When Lester Strong, when Lester was in the third grade, his teacher told his parents that he was unteachable. The teacher told them that he was, they were wasting their time trying to educate Lester. He would do much better in a vocational school or a special school. He was hopeless. In fact, things got so bad that the teacher put Lester out in the hall in a desk by himself. She was done with him. He was unteachable. Now, Lester was one of eight kids. I have three kids. I can barely manage that. His parents wanted to help, but they they were limited in what they could do, how they could help Lester. And for a moment, it appeared that Lester would be just one more kid who got cast aside, categorized, and pushed away. But fortunately for him, he had three people in his life, three mentors, who saw something in Lester. His barber, a minister, and the mother of a friend. All who told him that he was smart, that he had something to offer, that he could learn. They checked his homework at night, looked at his report cards for any signs of hope, and coached him how to behave in school. Now, Lester ended up repeating the third grade, but after that he soared, becoming an honor student in the fourth grade, and later graduating first in his class in high school. He was chosen as a National Merit Scholar and graduated from college and graduate school and went on to be very successful in a career in television. He was a success story. But a few years ago, Lester decided it was time to give back to those who did not give up on him. So he started a new career as chief executive of Experience Corps, an organization that has 1,700 volunteers over the age of 55 who are mentoring 30 thousand children in low-income schools. Three mentors, 30,000 children. When the situation seems hopeless, when the relationship is beyond repair, when it feels like the person across the table or the classroom or the street is simply asking too much of us, our instinct, our reflex, is to divorce ourselves from the situation, to separate ourselves from them, to cast them aside. And it's this instinct to disengage from other people that Jesus argues against in today's passage. And he makes his point, he makes his argument by using divorce as a case study to illustrate God's intent for all creation. Which means that to understand what he's getting at, we have to better understand how divorce and marriage were different then than they are today. While many cry for a return to a more biblical view of marriage, the institution of marriage in the time of Jesus among his people was one few of us would accept today. Back then, in most cases, marriage was not about love or passion or even personal happiness. 
Marriage was a transaction. It was about children and property and political connection. And it was a transaction where men held all the cards. A woman couldn't divorce her husband. Only a man could do that. Marriage was not in any way an equal partnership where two become one. Women were seen primarily, not always, but primarily as property, as a resource. Property that a man could cast aside when he felt as if his wife no longer served his best interest. And it's this mistreatment of women, this blatant disregard for the powerless, this hardness of heart that Jesus is addressing in this conversation with the Pharisees. It's this disdain for the other that drives him crazy. Perhaps you read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. It came out a while ago. In the book Blink, Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of John Gottman. John Gottman's a very experienced marriage therapist who, after analyzing one hour of conversation between two spouses, can predict with 95% accuracy if that couple's going to make it. One hour, 95% nails it. If he only has 15 minutes to look at a video to watch a conversation, 90%. While observing the couple's conversation, whether in person or in video, what Gottman has learned to look for in his belief is one emotion. He looks for one feeling that if expressed by either partner signals impending doom in that relationship. And the emotion he looks for is contempt. The existence of contempt, the existence of contempt makes relationships impossible. When the Pharisees seek clarity on the legal grounds for divorce, they are revealing to Jesus and to us their willingness to to permit men in their society to choose contempt over compassion in their relationships with their wives. And it's this hardness of heart that infuriates Jesus. Divorce isn't the issue in this text. What is at issue is a worldview that leaves room for contempt for another person. Ironically, his high view of marriage, Jesus' high view of marriage, is his way of protecting the powerless in his time. His conservative views around divorce were about ensuring the safety and well-being of women, of those in his society who were considered less than by those holding all the cards. Which means that if Jesus were to speak to us today in the 21st century where marriage is more equal, if you were to speak to us today about our tendency to divorce ourselves from others, from those we feel have nothing to offer us, who are bothering us, who are difficult for us, I think he would use a very different case study than the case study of divorce. Aviel Wakefield was five months old, five months old, when she died this week in Cleveland. Her death is another tragic reminder of the brokenness of our community. There's good things going on out there, I I believe that, but, but it's also broken. Things are not as they should be. And while many are offering solutions to what ails us, it is my firm conviction that nothing will change on the streets. Nothing will change until we come to believe that we are wedded to, that we are married to, those we cast aside. As hard as we try, we cannot divorce ourselves from those living in the shadows of violence and poverty. 
We cannot divorce ourselves from those who live just 10 minutes from here. We may want to think their problems aren't our problems, but they are because we are wedded to them. What God has joined together, let no one separate. It seems to me that the writer of the Gospel of Mark had a hunch that we might miss the bigger point in this story, the point he was trying to make. He knew, I think, that the topic of divorce would distract us, kind of knock us off our feet. So he does something that only seems strange if we don't understand the culture into which Jesus speaks. Mark does something odd. There's this difficult adult story about divorce right next to a story about cute little kids. The disciples are annoyed that people are bringing children to Jesus. They're annoyed, and they want to cast these little ones aside, these little ones who have nothing really to offer them. They want to divorce themselves from them because these kids can't elevate their status. But Jesus will have none of it. We don't cast aside those who ask more from us than we can give, that they can give to us, he teaches. We welcome the little kids. We welcome them so we can learn from them God's true intent for us and for all God's children. They have something to teach us about God's intent for the world. And the Pope was everywhere. Good gracious. People wearing robes got a lot of attention this past week. And we're still swimming in the wake of Pope Francis' visit to the U.S. And while there's a lot to reflect on following his time here, I'm struck by one thing in particular. I'm struck by the fact that in our consumeristic society, and we are all consumers, a society where we so easily cast aside those people and things that don't add value anymore to our lives, I'm so surprised in this consumeristic society how he refused to divorce himself from anyone. I mean, he met with people in power and with those on the margins. He spoke with John Bader, Joe Biden, and with Kim Davis. He embraced kids on the street who ran up to the Pope Mobile and had a drink with a dictator. And this willingness to be in relationship with all kinds of people confuses us. It confuses and confounds us because it doesn't fit our view of the way things ought to be. Whether we want to be or not, we are wedded to one another. Congratulations. We are in relationship. We are wedded to one another because that is what God desires for us and what God makes possible for us through Jesus. The problem is not divorce. It's not divorce. It's the hardness of human hearts. The problem is not poverty. It's indifference. The problem is not violence. It's a lack of empathy and compassion. If you have not read his writings, I encourage you to read Christian Wyman. His thoughts are not easy, but they are always worthy of your time. In his book, My Bright Abyss, he writes this. Christian faith is lived out with a particularity that often embarrasses us and offers us plenty of cause for awkwardness. But it is the way God is with us, local, particular, individual, specific, Our love and forgiveness, to the extent we try to be like Jesus, needs to be active today, not just as an idea, but as a relationship, not just as a concept, but as that which gives our life its shape and its form. From the very beginning, 
It was God's intent that we be in relationship, not only with those we believe has something to offer us, but also with those we feel like take more than they give. From the beginning, it was God's intent that we be equal partners with strangers and friends, with loved ones and with enemies, and with the one who made us. From the beginning, God's desire is that we are one. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Amen.